What's up, everybody? Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, as always, Arif Dean, here to break down Western Conference Final Hockey. I mean, how exciting how is that? sweet does that sound? So exciting. Obviously, here on Memorial Day, heading into June, we're still talking about hockey. I hope everybody had a, a fantastic long weekend if that's, uh, you know, you get the luxury of that in your life. But here we are right around the corner from round three. We haven't been here before, right, Arif? I'm so excited. I can't, I still can't even believe that we're here. Like, you go to Ball Arena, everything's different. You could tell everything's leveled up right from a staff and, you know, NHL is actually in control of a lot of things. It's, it's really crazy um, that it's just a bigger spectacle. It's a bigger stage and, and I, I don't really know what to do with my hands. Yeah, there's there's four teams remaining, and and uh, for the first time in 20 years, the Avalanche are one of those four teams. And I guess from a media standpoint, I've obviously never covered a Western Conference or Eastern Conference final before. To see just the the hoopla that comes with it, the fact that there is a parking lot at Ball Arena that's halfway filled with like seven production trucks. I heard from somebody that works within the Avalanche that TNT alone has 200 credentials between their their TV crew and their camera crew and their producers and everything. Like, it's just fascinating. You and I were walking out of Ball Arena and just walked by Darren Dreger, and a couple steps later, I saw all the, TS, all the TSN guys and all the Sportsnet guys, the local Edmonton people, because I'm a nerd and I know all their faces at least. So, like, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal, and I, I don't think it's really sunk in for me just yet. But between the matchup of who's going to be facing off in this, the superstars, the 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 excitement of this matchup, like within the within the Oilers Avalanche matchup, and the fact that it's the final four, it's it's this is a great time, man. This is this is a wonderful time to be a hockey fan around here. It, it usually doesn't hit me until we're sitting there at the arena and the the team comes out for the game, not even for the yeah. warmups, right? Once they come out for the game, the crowd is at oh. their maximum level. Pom poms are waving. That's when. It really hits me. I get the chills, and I'm like, all right, here it is. Let's go. So I imagine it's going to be something similar like that for me this year. Um, yeah. But I think back to 20, what was it, 2017 when they had a terrible year, right? And there was just four media members in there, myself, Mike Chambers, Terry Fry, and A.J. Hayfley, and th that was it. Now I walk into the press conference, and they have more seats than ever. The, it's full. It's part of it's standing room only, right? Even the <laughs> walls are lined with people. Uh, it, it's awesome, and I love Love the spectacle of it, and we just got to enjoy this ride while we can. I mean, hopefully we have plenty more in years to come, but this being our first one in 20 years and Avalanche having a legitimate shot here and are even the favorites, of course, I mean, man, I'm just so excited. I've heard a lot from reporters like Mark Lazarus out in Chicago, Joe Smith out in Tampa Bay, just all of these reporters that talk about just how cool it is to cover good teams. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to cover a championship team, but this is why. Because to be a Blackhawks reporter and for year after year, you're covering a Western Conference final, three Stanley Cup championships, to have to go through this multiple times, like we are on the cusp of starting the third round once in our careers. And these reporters are talking about like Stanley Cup, first round exit, Stanley Cup, Western Conference final loss to LA, Stanley Cup, uh, second round loss. Like, it's just the idea of going that far. Like, it's really what makes a career on this side of, you know, on this side of things, not even the fan side, but the reporter side, just seeing everything that, you know, kind of is leveled up, like you said, with this, uh, with the Western Conference final and with getting this far. And I think the biggest part for me is 
as much as it would have been nice to see the Avalanche win it all in 2019, or, or sorry, in 2019-20 and in 2020-2021, I hate how many 20s there were there, <laughs> um, I think the coolest part is this is as close to a normal year as we've had since 2019, and it just wouldn't have been the same to cover this on Zoom. Like, I can't stress enough the idea that, like, yeah, it was so cool. Uh, Nikita Kucherov came out last year and said, uh, big bullshit, big bullshit, or whatever the hell he said. Number one bullshit Number that one Vasilevsky, yeah, uh, the uh, Wassi should have won. <laughs> should have won the Vezina and the other guy in, in, in uh, Vegas, obviously, about Flurry. Like, those are all cool, but those are all on Zoom. It's It's not the same. Right, and you got standard playoffs right remember how montreal made their yeah. run because they were in the canadian division there. the western got... conference champion montreal canadians in 2021 yeah that's you've... who the avalanche are, are are looking to succeed exactly you've got uh you know you've got full arenas again because remember last year back when they would have to go to canada they were partially full and even in the u.s they weren't 100 percent full last year um and even nathan mckinnon said it today in the press conference right he said you know, I think last year a lot of people had a, a lot of different other stuff on their mind, right? Not just hockey. There were a lot of other things going on, and uh, it causes distraction. But here we are as a regular, non-asterisk playoff run here. And, yeah, let's let's get yeah, into it. I think, I think before we get into it, the only thing on Nathan McKinnon's mind right now outside of hockey is escrow. And I'm so glad to see <laughs> that he's focusing on that at this time of the year. Just kidding. Let's go. Let's yeah, rock it. He, oh, for those who don't know what you're talking about, he made a quick little comment about it today in his in his uh, press conference, if definitely you, check if it you out. If you go back and watch the videos, I hope it gets more viewers and lowers escrow. Other than that, I don't care. When he was asked about the McDavid-McKinnon matchup, um, if you go back and watch the video of it, and everybody at this point has tweeted it, you know, from Spin Chicklets to TSN to Sports, and everybody's tweeted this video. If you go back and watch it, he doesn't even crack a smirk. It's just straight up like, lowers escrow other than that i don't care and just deadpans like i'm not making a joke i'm 100 like it's the most nathan mckinnoniest answer you can have and just the facial everything again that's not something you would ever get on zoom so like we haven't even started yet and it's golden already right a pinch of uh attitude in there right honesty mm -hmm. and everybody else was chuckling around him and you're right he just had a, a face like i was i wasn't trying to make you guys laugh so um yeah let's get into the preview a big match right i mean i i think I don't know, my initial vibes, right, and you, you even look at the odds makers, and they kind of agree with me. Odds makers are favoring Avalanche in five here, but I can't, I, I, it really feels to me that this is going to be an easier round. I mean, after St. Louis, St. Louis really was a tough battle, right? A lot of adversity like we talked about in our last podcast. I can't imagine that the Edmonton Oilers are going to present that much more of a, I guess, difficult series for Colorado. I don't know, am I crazy for that? What, what What's your stance on that? So it's it's hard to say you're crazy, but it's also like I can't agree. Um, I, I look at it from two points of view. Um, I genuinely believe that the strength of the St. Louis Blues, as silly as this sounds, but it really isn't silly. This is a real thing. The genuine strength of the St. Louis Blues was their experience. Those guys don't bend. Or if they bend, they don't break. And then when they do break, you know they gave it their all, which they did. The Avalanche had to claw back in game six in the third period and score with five seconds left after blowing that game five, where St. Louis said, we're not we're not bending over backwards here after you got that Nathan McKinnon goal. So it was the experience of the St. Louis Blues, and that's not to take away from their skill and the depth they have. We, we've been talking about that for pretty much a month now. But with the Edmonton Oilers, I see a team with a lot of skill. I see a team with a lot of scoring. I basically see 
you know, and kind of elevated at the top of the line because I'm not going to sit here and disrespect Dry Saddle and McDavid. They are phenomenal and might be the two best players in the series. You know, I'm not saying Dry Saddle's better than McKinnon, but they could be the two highest point producing players in the series, I guess is the way to put it. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is they kind of remind me of the avalanche of two years ago or of three years ago if the avalanche of two years ago were able to get to the third round. Where let's just say 20, uh, let's pick 2020. The Avalanche beat Dallas. They get to the third round. They play Vegas. Um, and the Vegas Golden Knights have a lot of veterans and Stone and Pacioretty and all these guys. And they've been to the third round already. They've been to the Stanley Cup final a couple years ago, uh, you know, back to 2018. But the Avalanche in 2020 had this young Kale McCarr and these young upstart Nathan McKinnons and and uh, and Miko Rantanens and Gabe Landeskog finally getting over the hump. Like it just kind of seems like the Oilers now are the avalanche without this second round curse. And I do that with air quotes. So in terms of skill, in terms of the ability to score goals, in terms of the ability to win games by leaning on their star players, I could see the Edmonton Oilers giving the avalanche a challenge. I don't want to say a problem. I say a challenge more than the St. Louis blues. Then the Edmonton Oilers can match the avalanche in scoring chances, which the blues couldn't do in shots more, uh, which the blues couldn't do. And in goals, which the blues couldn't do but they don't have that experience. Does beating the Calgary Flames help? Yes. But in terms of offense, and I'm strictly talking offense because we will talk about the defense, the Oilers have what it takes to come out in game one, win five to three, and it wouldn't surprise me. A lot of people, this guy would be falling because the Avalanche lost game two and half of Denver nearly lost its freaking mind. But the Oilers can come out and score five goals in the first game. McKinnon can put, or McDavid can put up a goal and three assists, dry saddle, a hat trick, and an assist. And it wouldn't surprise me. And that's kind of the difference between those two teams. I like that comparison of the uh, avalanche of years past, right? Because you look back at that San Jose series that went to seven games and, you know, whatever opinion you want to be of the Gabe Landeskog on the blue line call, that's the way it shook out, right? And that's kind of the way it shook out for Edmonton and Calgary. Granted, it was only game six, but Calgary <laughs> yeah, had five, that goal. Game five? Game five? Yeah, they beat them in five. They they whooped them. It's impressive. I I, I could have swore that was six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you look at that and you know whatever opinion you want of that goal from Blake Coleman. Either way, it, it just came out came down to a, I guess, um, a interpretation call. of a ref, right? You know, yeah, a blown or non blown. But, call. but the thing with that series is the Oilers were handling the the, the Calgary Flames. The Flames had no shot. It kind of reminds me of Avalanche versus Vegas last year for whatever reason. The Edmonton Oilers came out after after the first game because the Flames, I think the Flames won the first game, and it was 9-6. to six. The Oilers came out the very next game, similar to what Vegas did last year, turned it around, took over, and the Calgary Flames, if you remember the Avs last year, game five, they blew it. Game six, like you can tell the entire game, like they had zero answers for the Golden Knights. You can tell they were a step behind. That's what it felt like with the Flames. So even if that Coleman goal does count, which, by the way, it 100% should have, um, Maybe it goes to a game six, but I don't even see him beating, you know, winning game six, the Flames. I can see the Oilers winning game six. However, I'm so in my head about that goal to think that, like, I promise you, if that Blake Goldman call counted, the Oilers would have still tied it up and won it in regulation or in overtime, like in that fifth game. Even though there was a few minutes left in the game, they just, their offense was, they had the Calgary Flames figured out. The difference between the Flames and the and the Avalanche, and they're going to find that out real quick, is Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin are not Kale McCarr and Devontae's. Other way around. Kale McCarr and Devontae's are not Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin. 
So you're going to find out really quickly that it's going to be a lot harder to pressure the Avalanche's defense. It's going to be a lot harder to beat them in a race. And your best bet, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, and the Avalanche might answer by putting in number 28 in the lineup at some point, Ryan Murray, is if you're the Oilers and you have the last line change, which you will in games three and four in Edmonton, you find any way possible to make sure that McDavid and Dreisaitl are playing against the third pair because the one guy that you can beat and you can beat to the outside is probably Jack Johnson. Other than that, the Avalanche's defense is mobile, and that includes Eric Johnson, who's pretty positionally sound, to the point where they're going to have a lot more issues with them than they did with, oh, I don't know, Zadorov and Goodbranson. Good shutdown pair, but not a lot of speed there. Uh, I guess this is neither here nor there, and we could argue about this till the cows come home, but I'm on the opposite page of you. I think that Blake Coleman goal was no goal. Um, it was a good call. Mm-hmm. And I think had Calgary won that game, that series would have had a whole different feel to it. And I think, you know, they, they could have overcome the Oilers. But again, that, that doesn't matter. Let's get neither, into... Yeah, neither here nor there. So yeah. Oilers is the avalanche. <laughs> Let's get into the matchup that everybody's been waiting for, right? That's Nathan McKinnon versus Connor McDavid. I mean, how monumental is this matchup, right? We, we remember for decades now, it feels like the Ovechkin and Crosby matchups, um, you know, and several countless awesome matchups that we've seen in playoffs of past. So how big is this for the sport? And uh, I guess just uh, do you think they're going to deliver here? They're 100% going to deliver. Uh, I think somebody asked it today about the 2009 series between Crosby and Ovechkin. Uh, they sure as hell delivered. And I think McDavid and McKinnon. The cool thing about this McDavid-McKinnon series is like they're both playing pretty damn good hockey right now. McDavid's got – Let me let me say this so that we can truly understand what this means. 26 points in 12 playoff games. 26. Sidney Crosby a few years ago, I think Eric Johnson mentioned this. Sidney Crosby, the year they won the cup in 2016, the first of the two years in a row, he had 22 points. Connor McDavid's got 26. We're two rounds in. Like, it's 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 really fascinating what he's doing right now. Nathan McKinnon, on the other hand, scored every game against Nashville, was unstoppable, was stopped for a few games against St. Louis, had that incredible hat trick. Both of these guys are firing. Both of these guys feel good. Both of, the, both of these guys are fired up, and they're going to deliver 100%. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen good matchups from them in the past, right? I mean, especially this year, we had, a I think it was all three games within like a seven-week span, right, towards yeah. the end of the end of the season there so I guess what do you what are you expecting out of the two are you just expecting them both to light it up are you expecting them to be heavy in assists because they both have been heavy in assists right and um you know I think Nathan McKinnon definitely has the ability to to bury a few here but you you're you're spot on I mean you look at the numbers and you count them Edmonton has a lot more goals scored so far in these playoffs than Colorado's been able to manage yeah so Connor McDavid's got seven goals in 12 games Nathan McKinnon's got eight in ten so McKinnon's only got five assists in 10 games. I would say that McKinnon's going to be more of your goal scorer. Granted, at the other side of that, Miko Rantanen's got 10 assists in 10 games and only one goal on an empty netter. I would expect Miko Rantanen's going to wake up offensively and get some goals as well. Um, the biggest thing for the difference here is McKinnon, as much as he's a playmaker, is also kind of not. Like, he reminds me more of a guy that in any given year, not that he does do it because we kind of see the way he plays in the regular season, misses a lot of games, so on and so forth. He seems to be the kind of guy that can give you like 40 goals and 60 assists in a full season, while McDavid is the kind of guy that's like, hey, I'll give you 30 goals and 100 assists. So I'll, I'll, I'll up you in points by about 100 of them, by about 30 of them, 
but I'm also going to be lower than you in goals. And the reason why that is, is the key part of this, you know, this matchup that nobody seems to want to talk about. It's the fact that Leon Dreisaitl has the same seven goals and 19 assists as Connor McDavid in the same 12 games, and he's doing it injured. Leon Dreisaitl is literally hobbling his way off of the ice at the end of every single shift. He's hurt. He can't even take faceoffs. He's playing on the wing with Connor McDavid and Evander Kane because he can't even play center. They can't they can't trust Dreisaitl to back check because he's he's injured. It's his lower body. It might be his leg or skate or his his foot his skate. His foot. He's something is wrong with him that's impeding his ability to skate hard. But all he's doing despite that is putting up 17 points in five games against the Calgary Flames. So Leon Dreisaitl is a goal scorer. He's a big part of this. Evander Kane's been putting up a lot of goals. He's a big part of this. Um, and that's not to take anything away from Ranton and Landeskog, but it seems like for once in the center matchup between the Avalanche's top-line center and another team's top-line center, the other team's top-line center, who just so happens to be the best player in the world, might have better line mates in this current moment. I'm not trying to say overall, don't come here and come back and say, I said Evander Kane is better than Gabe Landeskog. I'm under, just understand what I'm saying. In this current moment, McDavid's got the better line mates and he might be the best player in the world. Well, he is the best player in the world. So it just seems like the avalanche for once in a first round, in a first line matchup, have their work cut out for them. And they're going to need all three guys to kind of pick up their game in order to, you know, out to, to one up the Edmonton Oilers top guys. And, and that's not to say they can't, I think they very well can, but they're really going to have their work cut out for them for once. Yeah. Your, your point about Leon Dreisaitl doing all this production while, you know, not even being a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's just a testament to the way these guys are playing right now. Right. Since the playoffs started, they are just scoring goals at an insane clip. I mean, you look at the top four goal scorers for Edmonton. Evander Kane with 12, Zach Hyman with eight, Connor McDavid seven, Leon Dreisaitl with seven, top four for Colorado, Nathan McKinnon with eight, Gabe Landeskog with six, Kadri with five, Devontae's with four. So, you know, I guess a lot of people expecting this to be a super high-scoring series, but Colorado hasn't even hasn't proven to be a high-scoring team so far this playoffs, and they've been able to defend quite well. So I guess... Are you expecting this to be the high-scoring series that everyone else is expecting? I do. I, I I have no reason to believe otherwise, and that's not to say that Mike Smith and Darcy Kemper aren't going to stand on their heads, but that's to say that if the Avalanche and the Blues are playing 6-3 games, then the Avalanche and Oilers sure as shit are playing 6-3 games. Like, it's it's just the reality of it. Um and I don't think it's going to be, like I said, like I genuinely don't think it's going to be because those other two, the other two, the two goalies aren't playing well. It's just these teams are so loaded offensively. Just taking a look at some playoff numbers in 12 games, the Edmonton Oilers have 52 goals. That's 4.33 goals per game in 10 games. And I think you might not realize this just because of how, how spread out the depth is when you read those numbers. In 10 games, the Avalanche have 43 goals. That's 4.30 goals per game. So 4-3-3 and 4-3-0, they are far and away the two highest in the NHL in the playoffs. Third on the list is Pittsburgh. Fourth on the list is Toronto. Fifth on the list is St. Louis. What's the comparison between all three of those teams? They're all gone. So after the Avalanche and the Oilers at 4-3-3 and 4-3-0, the Lightning have scored 3.2 goals per game. The Rangers, who are still alive as of now, 3.2. And then you got to go down to Carolina's at the 2.69, and it just goes lower from there. So not a lot of goals from other teams, but the Avalanche and the Oilers are the two highest goal-scoring teams in the NHL in the playoffs, far and away. 
But the Oilers have surrendered 3.08 goals per game, the Avalanche 2.7. Obviously, that 9-6 to loss to Calgary plays a big part in that. Um, and then the other big thing, which is why I think this these offenses are really going to spark, is the Avalanche are taking... I be, or sorry, the Avalanche are surrendering only 27 shots against per game. The Oilers are surrendering 37. So Mike Smith has been standing on his head. There's a reason why Mike Smith is a 927 goalie right now. It's because the Oilers are surrendering a lot of shots. And the Avalanche right now are putting up 40 shots per game, 39.8. The Oilers, 35. Everything about this just says every game is going to be 4-3, 5-4, 5-3, where you're not necessarily going to sit there and think Kemper and Smith played shitty. It's not going to be a 25-shot game where someone's making only 19 saves. But it just seems like both goalies are going to have their work cut out for them. They're both going to face a lot of offense, and they're both going to surrender a lot of goals. Basically, take the over. That's the way it seems. Yeah, I guess my comment there was more... Uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? And it, it was more geared towards the second round, right? Because you look back at that first round, LA Edmonton, Edmonton wasn't scoring that many goals. They even got yeah. shut out in a game. And then you go to the Calgary series that they're essentially scoring five goals every game. And then kind of the same for the avalanche, right? They had uh, quite the burst of offense against Nashville and St. Louis. They, they had good offense, but St. Louis was able to heat it a little bit more, I guess. Yeah, against the Predators, the Avalanche went seven goals, two goals, seven goals, five goals. We know that too was a Connor Ingram game. Against the Blues, they went three, one, five, six, four, three. And then the four was obviously that overtime loss. So um, not as many goals there at the end, but it's just hilarious because, and, and I believe, and I not believe you, I agree with you, but it's just hilarious to say that given the Avalanche's last three games, they scored three goals, four goals, and six goals. And obviously that six, there was a couple empty netters in there. So three, four, and four on a goalie. So um, they're still bringing the offense. The fact of the matter is, the most important thing is, when they score three goals, Kemper only surrenders two. When, they, when Kemper surrenders three, the Avalanche are scoring five or six. Um, so that's what you want. You just want to have your goalie make more saves than the other guy. And, and that's, you know, genuinely the thought process that I have going into the series is like Mike Smith might surrender four goals and have an incredible game because the Avalanche put 49 shots on him. He stopped Nathan McKinnon in overtime three times and the Oilers win 5-4. Like they, you could very much see games like that. But despite the good goaltending, despite all the opportunities, it was still a high scoring game. And that just kind of seems to be the theme this year and what I think is going to happen. Yeah, we'll dive more into the goaltending matchup in a second. Right now, I guess let's stick with the supporting cast of the McKinnon-McDavid matchup, right? I like to call it the Mac versus the Mick. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like to draw comparisons from the regular season. Like, I know it's a completely different game, a lot more on the line, a lot more emotions going into a playoff game than a regular season game towards the end of the year. But the Avalanche went 1-1-1 one, one, and one against the— or no, not 1-1-1, one, 2-1 one, one, and one essentially. One was the uh, shootout win, right? Yeah. So— Looking back well, at Oilers those, went one one and one against the Oilers went one one one. Um, looking back at those games, I know Evander Kane had a major impact in all three of them. Nathan McKinnon was another name that you saw come up a lot, and Val Nachushkin had quite the uh, success against the Oilers so far this year. So I just wanted to point those three guys out as the game breakers from the regular season matchups. Yeah, and you know that doesn't even take into account that there's some new guys here like Arturi Lekkinen who hasn't played against these guys with the Avalanche. Like, uh, what's his face? Nazem Kadri, second-line center, who had a hell of a series, a coming-out party against the St. Louis Blues in round two. So um, Val Nachushkin is going to be relied upon heavily. Um, man, 
the Avalanche's top six is just so loaded. And then you look at Edmonton's side and, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, sorry to go on a tangent, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a great series against Calgary and he's playing with Zach Hyman, who's scoring goals at will right now. And then I believe the other guy on that, on that line is Magnus Payarvi. Magnus Payarvi. Jesse. Jesse Pulleyarvi. <laughs> wrong former first round pick of the Edmonton Oilers. Jesse Pulleyarvi's on the other side. So they seem to have that stacked top six as well. Um, it just, there, there's going to be a lot of goals. The supporting cast is going to play a big part. And I kind of feel, and I understand what Nathan McKinnon was saying when he was asked about it, about the McDavid-McKinnon matchup, the McMack-Chup, as, as you like to call it, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, despite the fact that these are two of the best players in the world, arguably the two best players in the world, and they're going to bring all the offense, and they're going to bring the heat, and it's going to be so much fun to watch McKinnon doing that rush up the ice like he did against the Blues to finish the hat trick, only to have McDavid pick up the puck and bring it right back to the Avalanche's zone. All of that's going to be fun, but the reality is, as hockey as this is to say, none of these teams are here without their supporting cast. None of these teams are here without the full team effort. Nathan McKinnon's got a point. Because Zach Hyman's playing out of his mind. Evander Kane's playing out of his mind. Guys like Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogle on the third line for the Oilers, uh, for the Oilers who are going to match up against the Avalanche's Comfer and Burakovsky and Abe Kubel and Newhook, no matter you know which of those three play. Um, they were factors against the Calgary Flames as well. And then obviously the defense and the scoring that they've been doing on both sides. So uh, the the depth guys, the, the supporting cast are going to play a massive part in this. And guys like Nachushkin are going to be very important. I'm going to take it one step further and say the depth is going to win this series for either team, right? I I agree. I see that. You look at the one line versus one line, and it's basically a wash. So you're going to see a lot of fun, but you're going to see a lot of back and forth. And if you look back to the Blues series, there's a couple times where the top line of the Blues shut down the Avalanche top line and vice versa. So uh, it's going to be comparable. It's going to be very similar with all the speed and the weaponry. They're going to be producing, but they're going to be producing on both ends. It's what's going to happen on the... uh, other nine forwards yeah and, and those are where you know the Kadri Lekinen Nichushkin line is going to be massive for the avalanche and hear me out I genuinely well actually I go back and forth on this because Jared Bednar has not been afraid to match McKinnon up against other guys top lines in the past um, especially in recent years he's relying on McKinnon more to basically say like I'm not going to get my star away from your star I'm going to play him one for one we've seen the avalanche all playoffs they've been kind of tinkering with the top six it's not always a Landeskog McKinnon Rantanen hell it's barely been a Landeskog McKinnon Rantanen it's usually Lekkinen or Kadri or Nachushkin or there's some mix in that top six but if things kind of don't go according to plan for Bednar maybe this is already what he's got planned from the onset having Nazem Kadri or having the top line back together and having Nazem Kadri be the second line center that he is the two-way center that he is and the you know a bit of a pain in the ass that he is with Lekkinen and Nichushkin on either wing, and as Arif likes to call them, Val and Mini Val, like tell me that's not the perfect shutdown line for the McDavid Drysaddle Evander Kane line. That's the matchup you might want if you're Jared Bedner. But at the other side of it, if you're matching up the McKinnon line versus the uh, McDavid line, well, Kadri will very happily go up against Ryan Nugent Hopkins and against Zach Hyman and against Jesse Pugliarvi. Like he's. It just seems like that second line is going to be the difference maker. And mm-hmm. let's look back to last year. The second line or the lack thereof was the reason why the Avalanche couldn't pass the Golden Knights. And suddenly they have that right there in their hands. Agreed. I think that second line is going to be a area that the Avalanche can exploit. It's not going to be there every night because those are still three formidable players that you mentioned there in Hyman, Nugent Hopkins, and Pugliarvi. But um, I think but that's, even, that's where yeah. they can get the leg up. 
like even if the McDavid line outscores the McKinnon line, that's fine. The Avalanche's depth just has to do their part to make sure that they're outscoring and scoring at the right times to outscore the Oilers' depth. Like the biggest thing right now is when you think about the fact that Drysaddle had 17 goals and 17 points, sorry, in five games against the Calgary Flames. What that means is the Oilers at least scored 17 goals in five games. So if you're the Avalanche, hey, let's just not give up three and a half goals minimum per game, probably more than that, because I'm sure they had some goals where McDavid or Drysaddle weren't getting points. But maybe let's not surrender 20 goals in five games. Maybe let's bring that number down. Even if Drysaddle puts up, I don't know, eight points in five games and McKinnon only puts up five or six, your depth could still win you a series. Yep. So that being said, looking at the rest of the depth and the bottom six, we broke down the second line and the first line pretty heavily. Who would you say, which team has the advantage here? Because I I see big names throughout the Edmonton lineup, right? I mean, their third and fourth lines are no slouches. Uh, The biggest thing right now for me is, number one, I hate to keep asking about this because I asked Joe Sackick about it too. The Avalanche's fourth line is, is... is the difference. Zach Cassian, Derek Ryan, and Josh Archibald are a good line. They're not going to hold, you know, they're, they're not going to be as good as the Helm, Cogliano, and O'Connor line. And that doesn't have to necessarily just be offensively, but just in terms of the full rounded game. Um, and we've seen the Avalanche's bottom line pitching offensively. Hell, we're here because of Darren Helm. So the Avalanche's fourth line takes the cake. The third line is the interesting one to me, and that's why I've already mentioned it, because you and I were talking about this at practice today. With Comfort at center, and Comfort's been scoring a lot of goals lately. Again, he's him and Darren Helm are the reason why we're here. Um, Comfort at center, and then you have Burakovsky, Abe Kubel, and potentially Newhook, who's been coming in for Burakovsky, and they've been kind of alternating. Warren Fogle and Ryan McLeod are not necessarily big game breakers, not at this point of their career. Uh, Ryan McLeod could, you know, become a more offensively gifted player in the NHL eventually. But Warren Fogel is more of a depth guy. I could see Comfer and Abe Kubel matching up with those guys well. Kaylor Yamamoto is a former first round over a first round draft pick of the Oilers. Uh, he's got a lot of offensive instincts, but so does Burakovsky and so do Newhook. So I kind of feel like if you want to match them player for player, you go Abe Kubel, you go Comfer, you go Burakovsky, and I think the Avalanche could still get the upper hand there as long as Burakovsky wakes it up a little bit because we have we have seen Bednar having to sit him because he wasn't producing, but he did get an assist against the St. Louis Blues in Game 6, and that's a big thing for him uh, just to kind of get him going a little bit. But on the other hand, if you want to take Newhook and place him on the left wing with Comfer and Burakovsky, which is the line that you and I have been talking about for a few weeks, we're waiting for that and sit Abe Kubel instead. Well, suddenly your third line's got a lot more offensive instinct than the other team's third line, and they still have the defensive well-roundedness of JT Comfer, um, and that's kind of where you can beat them offensively. So it just seems like there is options there for Bednar to, to, to match the third line, while the Oilers, their third line is what it is. And if that third line doesn't work for them, they need to dip into their fourth line. While Bednar has the option to dip into his press box, pull out an Alex Newhook and say, let's let's change things up here and bring in an offensive weapon like that. So right now, when you look at them on paper, the Avalanche might have the upper hand, but that's not for sure. But the Avalanche have more options to mess around. And as we've been talking about for years now, Jared Bednar's got to win some coaching battles. And these are the kind of things he needs to do at the right time. Yeah, call me crazy, but I think... Um... I guess I've been calling myself crazy throughout this whole podcast. <laughs> um, that Abe Kubel 
in the end of the lineup, I, I'm not sure is something you necessarily need in this round. I thought he was a great fit for the last two rounds when, you know, Nashville and St. Louis both came and were looking to play a little bit more of a physical style. And Obe Kubel is a good deterrent for that and can play the same physical style. Here, Edmonton, I think, plays quite a bit offensively. And that third line, you know, doesn't strike me as necessarily a, a tough physical line. So why not match him with uh, as much offense as you possibly can and go with a Burakovsky Comfort new hook line. What do you think about that? It's wild. It's wild and <laughs> it might not make much sense, but I just like loading up the offensive talent cuz I think New Hook it just has so much to bring to the table. He knows how to score and I know people like that know how to score in big games, which is more than you can say for Burakovsky. Yeah, Ryan McLeod's got one goal and one assist in 12 playoff games. Warren Fogel's got a big fat 0 and 0 in 9 playoff games and Kaylor Yamamoto's got 6 points in 12 playoff games. Uh, two of which, uh, two of those points of which have come on the power play. Basically, that Oilers third line is not as offensively gifted as we might think. So, having Newhook and Burakovsky in there kind of seems a little redundant in the sense of, is it worth the extra offense that you can get from? And this is a question I'm asking for Jared Bednar. Like I'm kind of, you know, rhetorical question, something to think about, not necessarily what I believe, but is it, this is kind of the idea that I think Jared Bednar is having is, is it worth having the offense of both Burakovsky and Newhook, the game-breaking offense of both of them, when the guys you're going up against aren't necessarily that offensively gifted, or is it better to sit one of them and have the defensive prowess of an Abi Kubel? Because let's face it, Abe Kubel is not this like massive, you know, defensive monster, but Newhook and Burakovsky have some defensive lapses. They have defensive issues. You have JT Comfort against, you know, playing with them. If you have that as a line and they get stuck on the ice against a McDavid and a Drysaddle, which could happen from time to time, does it really matter? Or even if it's the second line, Nugent Hopkins and Puliarvi and those guys, does it really matter? if Newhook and Burakovsky are both offensive weapons, if the Avalanche just can't get the puck out of their own zone because Newhook and Burakovsky just have defensive lapses. So I think the way Jared is looking at it is he would much rather have two defensive, more defensive sound guys than one rather than having two offensively gifted guys and one defensive guy while all the while knowing, and I think this doesn't help the case for Newhook, is that defensive centerman in JT Comfort just had a two-goal game. So it's not like he's, you know, a cakewalk who's going to give you zero points and just defensive center abilities. Like, it just seems like that's kind of the way that Jarrett's starting. But at the same time, that could switch on a dime. If the Avalanche aren't scoring 4.3 goals per game, if they're getting outscored, they need more weapons with the depth. McKinnon's getting eaten alive by McDavid. Kadri's getting eaten alive by Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, you better believe he'll bring new hook in. But I genuinely think he's going to start with Abe Kubel, and then he'll kind of play it from there, just like the first two series. And here we are 10 games later. The Avalanche have won eight of the ten, and Avi Kubel's been in every single night. Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's going to start with. I'm with that 100%, but I guess it just comes down to philosophy, right? Do you want to fight skill and speed with more skill and speed, or do you want to fight skill and speed with tight defense and checking? So it's just a matter about how, how he wants to yeah. approach it and what he thinks is most appropriate. But Yeah, and, th and that's kind of the thing. I don't think if, if the third line gets stuck on the ice with McDavid and McKinnon that Newhook and Berkey are going to do any bit of matching offense with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Not McKinnon, but McDavid and Dreisaitl. Um, but they could defensively try to shut him down if they have an Abe Kubel rather than a Newhook. It's just kind of, yeah, again, it goes back to that philosophy is what's the risk versus reward? Will we score an extra goal here or are we going to surrender two extra goals? Well, now we're minus one. So it just kind of seems like that's the way that Bender's been looking at it. And I think it's honestly 
like Burakovsky lost his spot. Like this shouldn't even be a conversation because if Berkey didn't have an inconsistent second half of the year and Peter Baugh, who is on this show with us, not today, all season has been telling me you've been hard on Burakovsky. He's having a career career year in terms of numbers. And I keep mentioning how inconsistent he is. The reason why we're even here is because of Burakovsky's inconsistencies. Because in what world did we think that Lekkinen was going to be the second line winger over Berkey when he was acquired? Berkey should have been on that line with Kadri and whoever, Nichushkin, Landeskog, whatever. That's a defensively sound line with a goal-scoring winger. And then the third line should have been Lekkinen with Comfort and Newhook. Lekkinen and Comfort forecheck like hell. Newhook's on the left wing with all the offense. And I'm, Berkey, Berkey lost his spot in the lineup. It's not him playing behind Abe Kubel when Newhook plays in his place, but it's this is all happening because Lekkinen has been the better top six forward than Berkey, and that's what led to all this. Well, I mean, ever since Burakovsky first arrived in Colorado, he's been given opportunity after opportunity, and he, he does well for a moment and then does bad for most of it. So, yeah, uh, he's a streaky it, scorer, but he's a streaky scorer without that defensive ability. So when he's not scoring... He's exactly. Not exactly. So he's been given chances, and this is just where he's going to find himself towards the end of his Avalanche career here, just because of what we've seen over his tenure. So I, I, I completely understand the swap for Lekkinen and Burakovsky in Jared Bednar's eyes. Um, yeah, for one sure. Less... I mean, Burakovsky, really quickly on him, he, he won a Stanley Cup with Washington and was out the door that summer in a trade to the Avalanche might win a cup with the Avalanche and be out the door that summer as a UFA. So not the worst thing in the world for Berkey. He left the Capitals and got a better opportunity with the Avalanche. He'll, if he wins the cup here, he'll probably leave the Avalanche for a lot more money. Uh, yep, indeed. I wanted to look at one last thing before we get to our friends over at Total Beverage, and that is the defensive groups, right? We just broke so much down on the forward lines here, and we just can't forget that Colorado Avalanche have the X factor, right? I mean, sure, Edmonton yeah. Oilers, you look over at their blue line and they've got some good names, right? They got Darnell Nurse, Duncan Keith, Cody Ceci, Tyson Berry, but the Avalanche have Kale McCarr. And St. Louis was, St. Louis is a defensive team, right? They know how to play the game. Their experience, like you pointed out, allows them to know how to defend a powerful player a playmaker like Kale McCarr in the playoffs I'm not sure the Edmonton Oilers are going to be able to hold Kale McCarr to nearly what St. Louis Blues were able to do I think the biggest issue with Kale McCarr against the Blues series was the pressure of the forecheck from the Blues really got to him the Ryan O'Reilly's the Braden Shens those blue collar forecheckers the annoying game of Ryan O'Reilly that just sucks the life out of you it's what the Avalanche have with Lekkinen and Chushkin so I. Uh, that was the biggest issue for me. Kale McCarr is the X factor. I'm going to do that prediction thing again because I did it last round and Darren Helm ended up scoring the biggest goal of the series and sending the Avalanche to the third round. The biggest goal the Avalanche have had in 20 years. My prediction this round is the X factor on defense for stopping McDavid is going to be Devon Taves. That's my guy. That's who I'm going with. He's going to be a massive part of... The Avalanche stopping McDavid and Drysaddle if they play on the line together the whole series, assuming Drysaddle remains playing hurt, the X factor is going to be living and dying with the game of Devon Taves. If Devon Taves has an if if McDavid and Drysaddle don't score a lot, we're going to be talking about an exceptional series from Devon Taves. If McDavid and Drysaddle score a lot, we're going to be talking about Devon Taves getting eaten alive. He's the one on assignment. 
I get that, yeah, from a defensive X factor standpoint, Devontae's, but I think Kale McCarr is going to be the offensive X factor in this series. Just oh, yeah. I yeah, don't yeah, think yeah, they yeah. have anybody to guard him, right? We pointed out how Leon Dreisaitl's playing with half a body. We don't even know what's going on with him, but I don't <laughs> see him being able to cover Kale McCarr. Um, Evander Kane on the other side, I don't see him being able to keep up much with Kale McCarr. And, um, you know, Connor McDavid, not exactly a super defensive player, defensive monster, as you put it earlier. Um, so, yeah, I don't see who's going to be able to hold Kale McCarr to I get what, that. what Ryan O'Reilly did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From an offensive standpoint, I could see McCarr pulling up more of the offensive numbers he had against the Preds than he did against the Blues, 100%. Indeed, indeed. Well, that's a perfect moment for us to get to our friends over at Total Beverage. Guys, everybody knows them. They're in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure. Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they do curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself, or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Oh, Arif, all right, let's get into the goalies. You know, we've done the oh boy. we've done the stars, we've done the depth. Let's get into Kemper versus Smith. I mean, I think it's wild how it's perceived that Smith is just not that good of a goalie. He's a shaky goalie, lets up easy goals, because he does from time to time, right? But you even pointed out he's got a strong save percentage. He's had a strong showing so far in these playoffs. So while, yeah, he's got the rap of you know, maybe giving up softies here and there. He's still, again, no slouch, just like the uh, depth of the forward group. The biggest issue with Mike Smith and the perception people have about him is that he is a human blooper reel. <laughs> That's what he is. Well, he's been so, playing for 20 years. You're going to yeah, do some yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, but, but you, see, you see the Calgary Flames score a goal from 200 feet away. You see him, I don't know, try to... Because he, he loves to control the puck. He loves to, you know, go behind the net and play the puck and try to shoot it at the empty net and things like that. And you see him take the puck and try to do an outlet pass and it gets intercepted and it's behind him. You see him do silly things like this and you're like, this guy's a nutcase. He just makes dumb mistakes. And then you dig into his numbers and you're like, whoa, he's good. And that's kind of the feeling you get from Mike Smith. Mike Smith has played 41 games in the playoffs. He's got a career playoff save percentage of 930. Six shutouts. Those are phenomenal numbers. Not bad. Yeah, nine thirty is pretty damn good, if you ask me. Uh, he's eight and three this year. Obviously, the fourth loss has gone to Koskinen. Um, with a nine twenty seven, he's faced four hundred eleven shots. Again, let me mention that the Oilers give up a lot of opportunities. They give up a lot of shots, which isn't necessarily a recipe for success against the Avalanche. Just just ask Nashville and ask St. Louis. But this is a guy who, in twelve games. Has faced 411 shots. He's facing over 34 goals, 34 shots per game. So he's playing pretty good, and he has for a very long time. Uh, does he have inconsistencies? Yes. Does he have his human highlight reel of a blooper, you know, mistake here and there from time to time? Yes. Is he a bit of a nutcase? Yes. So is the goalie they faced in the second round, Jordan Bennington. But again. Mike Smith is a pretty damn good goalie. I think Darcy Kemper right now going into this series is the one who's kind of has to step up his game, but that doesn't mean that can't change instantly. But right now it looks like the Oilers do, funny enough, have the better goalie. See, I feel I feel the opposite. I feel like the Avalanche have the upper hand when it's when it comes to the eye test. Yeah, absolutely. The Oilers have the better goalie on paper, 
But you watch Darcy Kemper, and and he just strikes me as the better goalie. He's more athletic. He's uh, just able to move around, maybe at times a little too much. He just has it, right? He's he's younger, of course. But I think Mike Smith has a, a different factor about him, and that's presence, right? I think he is maybe more of a leader in his locker room than is perceived. I mean, I don't know. I don't cover the Oilers. I haven't had the chance to pick up the vibes like I do uh, around the Colorado Avalanche. But watching their practice today at Ball Arena, Mike Smith had this energy about him. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm confident. I'm comfortable. I'm ready to keep moving on in this playoffs. And he just had a very leadership, captain-esque vibe to me um, this morning. So you know how we always talk about and we have talked about and we'll continue to talk about how it's like so cool that the Avalanche faced Matt Duchesne in the first round and Ryan O'Reilly in the third round and Tyson Berry in the in the, in the whatever, second round, third round. And Derek Broussard. Yeah, just, just as important as as, <laughs> as McKinnon, uh, geez, as Duchesne, O'Reilly, and Berry. I'm struggling here. Well, here's the funny part about Mike Smith. In the first round, they played John Quick. Cool. Second round, Jacob Markstrom. Third round, Darcy Kemper. What is something, and I don't know if you'll get this, that's similar between Jacob Markstrom and Darcy Kemper? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike Smith was playing in Calgary before Markstrom. Markstrom came in and took his position. Holy Mike, shit. I did, oh, my God. That Mike, is a phenomenal. Mike, go ahead. Go ahead. Mike's, finish what you're saying. Buddy, come on. It's goalies. You know I follow No, no, goalies. no, 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 no. That's not even what I was going to say. Oh. The fact that you mentioned that is Oh, that wasn't even your point? true. Yeah, because Mike, Mike Smith... Smith was lost in Arizona his position and lost he, his position to Darcy Kemper. Yeah, not not you know eventually. the next guy, but eventually. Damn, good job. That is hilarious, but that's not what I was going to mention. Oh well, I'm I'm excited to hear what you were. Gonna yeah, say. so it gets even better because this is kind of similar. He lost the job to both those guys. Well, here's the thing: in the summer of 2020, until right up against the first day that free agency was going to open, the Oilers thought they had Jacob Markstrom signed to a contract. And at the very last second, Markstrom pulled a swerve on them and went to Calgary. Same with Darcy Kemper. Now I see where you're going. Exactly. And then what happened? The Oilers scrambled. They tried to find a replacement. Summer of 2020, I'm talking. Off season of 2020 because it was like in October. They couldn't find a replacement. They rolled with Mike Smith. Fast forward one off season, off season of 2021. The Oilers offered a first round draft pick for Darcy Kemper. The Avalanche said, we'll give you a first-round draft pick and Connor Timmons. And for the people that keep asking why the Avalanche gave so much to the Arizona Coyotes, it's because newsflash, without Connor Timmons, you ain't getting him because the Oilers were offering something too. So it was a bidding war. Mike Smith beat the goalie that almost replaced him in 2020, is looking to beat the goalie that almost replaced him in 2021. He didn't lose the job to those guys, which coincidentally, he was the guy in Calgary before Jacob Markstrom, and he was the guy in Arizona a little bit before Darcy Kemper. That's hilarious that that's also a connection, but that's the thing. He's got a chip on his shoulder, just like the Avalanche had a chip to beat Duchesne, to beat O'Reilly, to probably beat Barry. Not that the Avalanche are going into the Western Conference Final with a chance to play for the Stanley Cup for the first time in 21 years, with a chance to even be in the third round for the first time in 20 years, and on their mind, all they're thinking is, we want to beat Tyson Barry, the guy we traded for a center we love no like that's not the idea but for someone like mike smith you know he knows this stuff and you know that this is something that matters to him yeah a revenge tour right especially at his age he he doesn't forget he remembers everything that's happened in his career and it's on his mind i'm sure it felt good to beat calgary yeah and you know not that kemper or markstrom are gonna try to take him on in a fight but if so 
Go check out the tweet I posted a couple days ago. Man's got biceps that will eat you alive. So <laughs> he's got a chip on his shoulder to, to take on anybody. Yeah, it really sunk in the, to me this morning on my way to the rink, and I was listening to NHL Network Radio, and Mike Rupp was on there, and he, I think it was him that, that made the comment, but he said, one of these two goalies is going to the Stanley Cup final, Darcy Kemper and Mike Smith. How wild is that? And they might play either against the guy who's going to win the Vezina and <laughs> is in the running for the Hart Trophy and Igor Shesterkin, or the two-time Stanley Cup defending champion and the best goalie in the world, Cons Andre Vasilevsky, yeah. or freaking no. anti-Ranta. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think it's going to be him either, but like, it's just so fascinating how, for once, the West is the side with all the offensive players and the East is like the tight, forechecking, tight, choking hockey sucks the life out of you with the good goalies. It always seems to be the opposite. And then uh, one last thing, just a quick observation from me from this morning. We got to talk to Dar Darcy Kemper after practice, right? And uh, I, his eye is still, I mean, I want to say it's bothering him, but it's still not 100%. You look at him, you know, face to face, and one eye is a lot lower. The one that he got hit in is a lot, his eyelid is a lot lower than the other. So a couple um, people tweeted that to me. So they, they must have seen they noticed too. And thought the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's pretty noticeable. So, you know, whatever stones people wanted to throw at him for the first round, perhaps that was still playing a factor. So, um, you know, I, I took the chance to ask him if he's adjusted at all because it did seem like he was playing a different game there in the second round. And he, he said no, nothing intentional anyway. So, um, yeah, I expect. I expect him to have a better round in the second round and, and to maybe elevate his game a little bit, but I also am not at a point where I think Darcy Kemper was so bad that he, he's going to be the reason yeah. this team falls. The The reality is Darcy Kemper, I know Philip Grubauer was really good in facing a little bit of shots, but Darcy Kemper strikes me as like a Varley kind of goalie where like you want him to face 30, 35 shots to really get warm out there. Um, he's faced 27 shots a game in the playoffs, so mm -hmm. like, automatically his save percentage is going to suck because three goals against, you're not even at a 900 facing that many shots. So I think the others are going to put up a lot more shots on him, and I think that's going to be good for him. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, let's look into special teams here. Last thing we got to touch on, uh, especially because we saw so much attention to it today at practice, right? Jared Bednar was really working on the penalty kill, especially, and rightfully so. It's of the remaining teams in the playoffs, the Avalanche have the worst penalty kill right now. Um, and of course, Edmonton has a dangerous power play. So definitely something they want to figure out a little bit. But I guess, again, we've been looking at advantages for which team over the other. Who has the advantage when it comes to special teams here? Uh, it's hard to say. The Oilers' power play is so good, but so is the Avalanche's. Um, the biggest issue for me is I could see a lot more opportunities on the power play for the Oilers where they're scoring right away with their first unit. And that's that's the issue. Is for once, the Avalanche can't, you know, mask their penalty kill deficiencies with a strong power play because the team at the other end has a power play that's stronger, if not as strong as yours. So... Uh, it's hard to say, and that's a makes for terrible podcast content to just say that. But I think it's going to be the Avalanche are going to have their work cut out for them, and they're going to need to make sure they're on their game, both on the power play and penalty kill. Because if their PK cannot stop McDavid and Drysaddle, the power play can't have a night off at all, and and that's going to be the difference. Yeah, I mean, luckily the Avalanche power play is the most dominant power play in the playoffs right now. But you look at who is second 
and that's the St. Louis Blues. So yeah, the, the Avs penalty kill might statistically be struggling, but I think that's also a testament to how good the St. Louis Blues power play was and how effective. I mean, they almost scored a, at least one a game, right? So I don't think Edmonton is going to achieve quite that clip. And of course, I think Jared Benner is going to have some film studied and make some adjustments. So I don't anticipate this uh, penalty to kill, penalty penalty kill to be at a 73% for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, again, the biggest thing for the Edmonton Oilers against the Calgary Flames is Calgary unraveled and just couldn't find a way to get it back on track. And and that's going to be something that the Avalanche have to do, and I think they could do it um, to make sure that, again, you're not surrendering 17 points in five games to one player, which means you've given up at least 17 goals in five games, uh, a lot of them on the power play as well. So... Uh, Jared's going to make the adjustments necessary. There's a reason why that you mentioned what you mentioned today about the fact that the Avalanche's PK was having that longer chat with him while we're all in the media room waiting for Bedner. He was on the ice talking to his PK for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And I was the only idiot there still watching the practice while you guys (laughs) were all fraternizing in the press conference. I just followed the herd. I saw everybody getting up. I'm like, why are we going to the media room already? They're still skating, but I'm just going to follow you because I'm a follower. And I did the same thing. I said, why is everybody going? And... I said, well, they're not done yet, and I stayed. Um, So, yeah, we got a 6 o'clock start, one of the perks of being into the Western Conference Finals, right? There's no game before us, nobody we have to wait for. How awesome is that? How refreshing is that? So great. I'm curious, uh, if I can make it to morning skate tomorrow, I might throw this question out there. If there's much of an adjustment from the team in an 8 o'clock start versus 6 o'clock start. And, you know, I think if you're a player, you probably prefer the 6 o'clock, right? You don't have to wait so long. The anxiety yep. all day isn't sitting in in your belly and you're not getting those butterflies. You, we got a, I believe it's a 9.30 a.m. morning skate and a 6 p.m. game. And I love those those times. Like, it's it's going to be just perfect hockey schedule from here on out. Maybe our post-game podcasts aren't going to be us you know, stuttering our way through Slurring it. Slurring and... our words because it's <laughs> 1 in the morning and we're at Ball Arena with, you know, leaf Vacuum blowing guy. guy. Leaf-blowing guy. <laughs> um, all right, so let's wrap up this podcast with some predictions. Prediction time, prediction time. What do you think is going to happen in this series? Give me games and the winner. I say the Avalanche win it in six, but I say this time it's going to be a 2-2 two to two series before they win it in six. And I say six for two reasons. Number one, um, I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to be a little bit of a battle, and that's why it's going to be a two-to-two series like the Avalanche had against Vegas last year. And number two, because the Avs are never going to win a freaking series at Ball Arena. It's always got to be on the road, and it's going to be again. I'm going to go with Avalanche in five, but in order for them to do that, they have to take care of both of the first home games because this has been a pretty good road team. I, I have... Absolute confidence that they can go into Edmonton and at least snag one. If they can take care of the first two at home, snag one in Edmonton, I think game five, it's a wrap. I like that. I like that prediction a lot, too. Thanks. I like I like you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> we're, we're a good team together. We do it. I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, I guess thanks for hanging out with us in this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow night to give you the post-gamer, but hopefully Love this it. serves well as a pre-game for you. JJ, I am fucking excited for this series i'm so pumped for this like this is seriously such a great time it's like pinch me it's real this is such a fun time to be a hockey fan such a fun time to do what we're doing and it's a final four it's the western conference final there's gonna be two teams on the other side i keep wanting to say there's four teams remaining but there still isn't because the rangers and hurricanes are still playing granted new york's up one nothing but god this is a fun time to be a you know 
to be where we are. Indeed, indeed. I'm excited. It, it just sunk into me this morning. I'm in Western Conference Finals. This is a big, big deal. We're on a big stage now, so the whole hockey world is watching this one. Everybody. Especially with the matchup there with the Mick versus the Mac, right? Mac versus Mick, the Mick. The Mick Mac-chup. <laughs> the Mick Mac-chup. <laughs> that sounds like a uh, ketchup sandwich from McDonald's, but... <laughs> Uh, let's get out of here. Uh, I guess thanks for hanging oh out with God. us before we lose our minds and uh, derail this entire podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate every single one of you. So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty make little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we make out here. <laughs>